Let's pray. Father, um, may today just not be another typical Sunday where you proverbially go through the motions of sermon and listening and worship and prayer, smiling faces, but I ask that you would do something in all of our lives. I ask that you would invade this place, that you would bring transformation, that growth of the seed, Father. Some water and some plant, but you bring the growth. So I pray that you would bring growth in every single one of us today. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil, feet that want to run with obedience, and a mind to comprehend. May you be honored. In Jesus' name, amen. I saw a quick video this week. And um, while I saw this quick video, it just reminded me of the church of Ephesus. And um, we will be looking at Smyrna today, but it reminded me of um, the book of, or the book of Ephesus, the church of Ephesus, because this guy was sharing the gospel to um, those on a college campus, a very liberal college campus. And then what he did is he put himself out there and after he shared the gospel, he would allow people to come up and ask questions. Someone asked an interesting question. I don't remember what the question was, but his response was this. As he said, imagine <clears throat> that you are with your earthly father on a camping trip, <clears throat> just you and him. And while you're on this camping trip, he tells you to not go to the lake because the lake is infested with crocodiles. And he said, what you end up doing is, <clears throat> while, well, <clears throat> it didn't even work. Yeah, thank you. So while, while you, um, while your dad's sleeping, what you end up doing is you go into this pond, you go into this lake, and you start swimming. And a crocodile comes up. And while the crocodile comes up, the crocodile gets your ankle. Thank you, Scott. I'm afraid to do anything yet because I think it's in a good place, but I'll know I'll have one. <clears throat> so the crocodile gets you. And your dad hears about it, and your dad comes in, and your dad saves you, and you don't remember anything other than waking up. And when you wake up, you see that your dad is torn to pieces. Absolutely torn to pieces. His face, and his back, and his arms, and his feet, and his legs. And he was willing to lay down his life for your sake. That's what Jesus did for us, isn't it? Jesus warned us of sin and death. And Jesus was willing to go into the crocodile-infested waters to save us and to spare us. But yet we keep on sinning. We keep on sending Jesus back to the water. Now what we understand is what he did once, he did it for all and once alone, right? But what made me think about the church of Ephesus was I remember when I first understood what Jesus had done for me 
and how much I loved him and wanted to be with him. I remember how excited I was even just to be asked to door greet people. Or back in the day when we used to pass the plate and Al would ask you as a kid, hey, will you be an usher this morning? Man, the honor that you had to be a little kid passing the plate. Well, you felt the anointing. That's when I received my call. The honor there was to pass a plate. There was first love there, right? Because you, you understood what Jesus had done for you. But what ends up happening is it feels like what happened in the church of Ephesus is they left that. Actually, they did leave that. So we were challenged a few weeks ago to remember how far you have fallen, to repent of those works, to repent of those things, and then to redo the works you did at first. So we need to remember how far we have fallen from our first love. Are you guys enjoying serving the church? Because if I'm completely honest, as I've shared, sometimes I haven't enjoyed serving the church. I've done it out of being a job, right? And I feel like I could fake it up here and just tell you that I just love always serving and doing and being busy. Sometimes my flesh gets in the way. Amen? So what I've been trying over the past several weeks is how do I remember how far I have fallen? How do I repent of those things? How do I turn from them? And then how do I redo the things I did at first? So we're going to start passing the plate again so I can be happy. We're not going to do that. If you do want to give here, you can give online or at the boxes at the back of the room. Um, God has been so faithful. But we must return to our first love. Now, Smyrna is completely different than Ephesus. One author says this, the name Smyrna comes from the Greek word Smyrna, from the Hebrew root that is translated myrrh. Myrrh is death. In Jesus' second coming, gold and frankincense are offered, but no myrrh, since his death is now behind him. But it was offered to Christ at the cross. The body of Jesus was embalmed by Joseph and Nicodemus, and myrrh yields fragrance by being crushed. So the idea that this author was presenting was Smyrna, and a theme throughout um, when the address is death, being crushed. So that's what's really challenging. Jesus is addressing a church that was crushed, that was beaten, that represents somewhat death to them, physical death, hardship. Smyrna was a city that was thought to be proud and beautiful. On their coins, it was inscribed, the first in Asia in beauty and size. So in our coins, it says, in God we trust, right? Now, um, in theirs, it said, first in Asia in beauty and size. So they thought a lot about them. Smyrna was a city who also had many gods that they worshipped. Now, Yet the one that really sticks out that they worshipped was this idea of politics. Now, 
if we're honest, America seems to be worshiping politics right now, don't they? Most of America, if not all of America, has found a way to be concerned or worried or frustrated about politics, just like Smyrna. So what was uh, yeah, unique about that is as they worshiped politics, each year Roman citizens had to burn incense on an altar to acknowledge publicly that Caesar was the supreme lord. Now, allegedly, within this culture, within Smyrna, there was religious freedom. So, you know, by the government standards, you can worship whoever you want to worship. Yet, if you didn't each year, by offering sacrifice to Caesar as lord of all lords, essentially, then um, you would be killed by or killed on a stake, or by fighting animals in an arena. So look, if you don't say that Caesar is Lord overall, then now you get to be thrown into the movie 300 or whatever and fight a lion. Or we're just going to throw you on a stake. Now just think about that decision right now. If today someone Caesar came in here and he said, hey, you either bow down or you're going to be thrown onto a stake. What decision do you make? Now, what about this? It's easy, it's easy to choose for yourself, right? It's easy to say, yeah, I'll, I'll take on, kill me. But what if they said, what if they said this? You either identify with Caesar or I'm going to kill your family in front of you. Now what do you do? See, because for us, it's really easy. Just, just take me, Lord. But what about your family? Do you love Jesus enough that your kids could be? And I know this is, this is challenging, right? Do you love Jesus enough that your family or your kids, that in the midst of persecution, you're willing to say, no, I love Jesus. See, Jesus wants us to love him far above everything else, does he not? That's what they were facing in Smyrna. Now, contrary to the church of Ephesus, Smyrna has not left its first love. Smyrna was being persecuted because of its love for Jesus. Smyrna was facing persecution for their faith. As we all have heard and should be learning, God does not promise life to be easy. I continually learn that more and more each day. He promises that those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. So we must ask the question, how will we handle hard times when they come? Not if. Not if hard times come. How will we handle hard times when they come? See, and being persecuted is just not, persecution does not mean that you got a flat tire. Right? Persecution means that because of your faith, people exile you or punch you or do a certain thing to you. Are you being persecuted because of your faith? But how will we handle it 
when it comes. So then, if we're not being persecuted, we must ask the question, why? Why are we not being persecuted? Probably because we're not preaching Jesus. Are we afraid to bring Jesus up at our Thanksgiving meals? Are we afraid to bring Jesus up at Christmas parties or with our coworkers at the school, with our family members? Um, Macy had a Christmas party last night, and I promise you, every Christmas party we ever go to, the first question always is about Jesus. And it's like, this year I was more prepared than last year. And hopefully next year I'll be more prepared. But it's just like, one of these parties is probably going to turn sour eventually. Like, it's, it just, if the Bible's true, people are going to be offended by it. Amen? It's going to happen one day. And I don't mind those questions. Sometimes you just want to be a normal human being and talk about Ohio State losing to Michigan. But other people have, a, you know, other agendas. Um, are we afraid to bring Jesus up? And why? So when hard times came to Smyrna, guess what they did? They endured them. And what we cannot separate, one of the ideas that we that we often try to do as Christians is we try to separate who we are and what God's called us to. And so we try to become Christian and never face hard times. And we try to divide those things, right? But what happened with Smyrna is they endured and they almost engaged into suffering. They didn't run from it. So I hope by the end of the message today, what you recognize is suffering is something that God has called us all to, and it's not always a bad thing. Amen? I have a hard time saying amen to that. I don't want to suffer. I just want this idea of what I think a perfect life is. Everyone I ever share the gospel of Jesus with, they just receive it, and their life becomes abundantly fruitful, and then the fleshly side of you, you're liked by the world and you're liked by people and the church is flourishing and growing and you never break your foot or get a flat tire or any of these things or people never punch you in the face because of being a Christian. People don't run from you at the store because you're a Christian. I just want everything to be really good. Amen? But when I read the Bible, that's not the case for believers. And I think what pushes us away and makes us lose faith in Christ is because we haven't, we've overlooked the idea of persecution and hard times in the Bible. What we think we can do is just pray them away or declare them away. When the fact of the matter is there's a lot of reasons why we face persecution and hard times. So Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write. These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came back to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, 
and I will give you life. Sorry, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. So what's important for the church of Ephesus, sorry, Smyrna, what's important for the church of Smyrna is to know that the one who is speaking to them has power, right? So what Jesus starts with is he says, look, um, I'm eternal, I'm the first and the last, and I came back to life. So if we're taking notes, Jesus is eternal, and he came back to life. Verse 8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came back again. See, the city of Smyrna may have claimed to be first in Asia, but Jesus was making it known to them. He says, I am first. Not only am I first, I am last. He holds the keys to the promise of the victor's crown. crown. And the victor's crown was designated for the martyred church. Smyrna was a martyred church. Now, I don't know about you guys. Um, you know, Jesus will give us rewards in heaven. And false humility, false humility, not real humility, false humility would say this, I just want to make it into heaven. Well, yeah, we all want to make it into heaven. But what Jesus does is he, he talks about these crowns that we will receive. Jesus doesn't want us just to make it into heaven, right? He wants us to live such a life that is obedient and honoring of him that we will receive crowns one day when we go to heaven. Now, we understand he has the big crown, right? He has the only crown. But he speaks about the crown of life because he wants us to receive those. Amen? I know... We're not preaching prosperity here. We're preaching what the Bible says, that he wants us to receive these rewards. So Smyrna was the martyr church. So he's saying not only does Jesus have the authority over time, but he also has the authority over death. He defeated the grave. And this is paramount for those in Smyrna to grasp so that they can have hope when hard times come. When hard times come your way, Jesus has power over life and death. Amen? Over life and death, no matter what you face, Jesus has power and authority over it. So, not, yeah, Jesus experienced death for us. Realize that, right? Jesus jumped into the water to save us. A far worse death than we will ever know. Amen? He took on full judgment and wrath and the wrath of God for the sins of the world. He was slandered, persecuted, rejected, imprisoned, beaten, flogged, mocked, and murdered. That's what Jesus was. He walked the road that Smyrna was experiencing, but he also defeated death. 
He walked. Isn't it nice to talk to someone who's experienced something that you've experienced? There's hope in that, is there not? So Jesus walked the road that Smyrna walked, but he also defeated the grave. So what does that mean? They too may even experience unjust death. They too may experience unjust persecution or slander or beatings. But they weren't to lose heart because Jesus overcame death. And we are supposed to hear that today too. When you share the gospel, when you bring up Jesus, don't lose heart because Jesus overcame death. If Jesus didn't overcome death, he's just another man, right? It's paramount that Jesus came back. Jesus is alive today. See, the Smyrna church needed hope for eternal life because they were being asked to be faithful to the end. Here in a few verses, Revelation 10, sorry, Revelation 2.10, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Be faithful even to the point of death. What if Jesus spoke that to our church today? What if Jesus spoke that to your family today? What if Jesus is speaking that to you today? Be faithful to the point of death. Be faithful to the point of death. Death. How many of us would lose hope about the future? How many of us would be excited about the future? How many of us would be, if God called us, to be beat up, to be punched in the face, to be exiled, to not be liked, to be spit on, how many of us would enjoy the life that God called us to? What we need to do is trust God so much that we're willing to do that and say, hey, if that's the life that you call me to, I trust you. I have faith in you. I will endure unto the end. Because God has called all of us to be persecuted some ways, and probably all of us have found ways to avoid some of it. What Jesus was trying to do here is he was giving them hope for their future. The hope was this. Though you may die on earth, you will receive the victor's crown, and you can't be hurt in heaven. Though you may die on earth, there's something greater waiting for you. Amen? trying to help us have this perspective that this life is important, but the rest of eternity with him is what should be the priority. That's a hard priority for us to have, isn't it? Luke 12, 4 says this, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after they can do no more. Don't be afraid of dying. Don't be afraid of your coworker that points a finger at you. Don't be afraid of a coworker that gossips or your neighbor that gossips or the friend that avoids you at Kroger or Aldi or Sam's Club. Wherever you are, don't be afraid of that person because when your life passes to the next, there's no more pain or suffering. 
You'll be in paradise forever. During the Cold War, uh, many soldiers from the Soviet were given permission to kill Christians. And if the soldiers would find these Christians, they were given orders to take care of them immediately. They didn't have to call in the orders. They were just given permission. So there were many Christians that worshipped privately in their homes. But they knew um, there was something special about gathering together. They knew there was something special. So they would gather in a barn far off the grid. So these two soldiers once saw that there was a gathering. And what they ended up doing is going to this barn. And um, they had their guns and weapons. And they went in to this Christian gathering, armed and ready. They lined everyone up on the wall and gave them an opportunity to renounce Jesus. So imagine being in that situation. Right now, um, people come into our gathering in our barn in the middle of Ohio. And they say, line up on the wall. Do you believe in Jesus? And they gave him an opportunity to renounce. Do you believe in Jesus? 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 And what these soldiers said is they said, if you renounce Jesus, if you don't identify with Jesus, then you can leave. So everyone lined up on the wall. Do you believe in Jesus, yes or no? No. Okay, you can leave. Go be free. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Yes, 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 no. Yes, 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 no. Okay, you can leave, you can leave, you can leave. So what ended up happening is some of these um, non-believers then ended up leaving. And um, I ask you, what decision would you make today? What decision would you make today? If we were lined up on the wall, Soviet soldiers in here asking us who we identify with. So these non-believers ended up leaving. And after they left and they were far off, they were getting ready to take care of business. Here's what the two soldiers said. We have longed to worship with true believers. We know you believe in the one true God. So now that the non-believers are gone, let's have a worship service. Amen? They all worshiped and prayed together. See, these believers were willing to face persecution even to the point of death because of their faith in Christ. Amen? See, Macy doesn't need to know that I'm willing to die for her. What Macy needs to know is that I'm willing to live for her. Right? It's really, I can't say it's easy to die for someone. I don't want to minimalize anything that Christ did. What Christ went through is horrible. But it's a whole lot harder to live for someone as humans. See, it's hard for me to say I'm sorry or I was wrong or repent. She needs to know that I'm willing to honor her, to represent her, to protect her, to cherish her. And if I'm not doing any of those things, am I doing anything good for her? What good is it for me to be willing to die for her if I'm unwilling to live for her? Might be good if I did die then, right? If I'm not doing anything for her, what's the purpose? 
But what ends up happening is we often become the hero in the stories when we think about when we're in the barn. We often, in our minds, we say to ourselves, I'd take the bullet. I'd stand up. I'd take it. I'd identify with Jesus. And maybe we would. I'm not here pointing any fingers. But we often create ourselves to be the hero. But the question is, if we'd be willing to be the hero then, then are we willing to live for him today? Don't just always become the hero that's willing to die for him. Why don't you become the hero that's willing to live for him? And to be the hero that's willing to live for him means that we're going to be in positions of persecution. It means that we're going to bring up Jesus in our communities, in our homes, and at our jobs. If we want to be the hero, live for him today. And what that means is we're willing to repent. We're willing to turn back to him. We're willing to lay down everything that is going unbiblical in our lives. Verse 9. And the point that we need to see um, next is Jesus now commands the church, or sorry, commends the church for persevering. We get commended for that. Verse 9. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. See, the church experienced affliction in many ways. Number one, the uh, church in Smyrna, they were pressured by culture. Smyrna was a city that was devoted to Rome and the worship of the emperor, Caesar. Um, the believers followed the civil laws of Rome, but they wouldn't worship or offer sacrifices to Caesar. So they were receiving pressure from them. This caused disfavor and brought about severe pressure. People were being killed for not worshiping Caesar. So they faced many afflictions. They were pressured by friends and neighbors. When people came, uh, sorry, when people became Christians, they left behind their entire life. This put pressure on them within their jobs and social settings. What if you left your entire life right now? How would people respond at your work? They'd be like, that's a new person. Shouldn't the people within our communities think that we're a new person? Shouldn't they see transformation within us? So they were pressured by friends and neighbors. They were also hated by society. So the Jews had no heart for God. They refused to believe Jesus was the Messiah. So even the religious community came at them. So this means they experienced hard times and tribulation on every side. They knew Jesus. They knew their hardships. But what Jesus says is he's been through it all with them. And if Jesus knew their hardships, what does Jesus know about your hardships? Jesus knows your hardships today. Can we be at peace with that? Jesus has experienced the things that we're going through or will go through. But what he did is he commended them for persevering. 
And if he commended them, guess what I believe he's doing for you today? He's commending you for persevering. But the unique thing is we can be rich and poor at the same time. Despite their hardship, he said they were rich. How many of you guys feel rich in your hardship? See, the idea that we feel rich, is, rich in is when our bank account is really high, when things are always going our way. But despite their hardship, he said that they were rich. Being rich on earth is not about having nice houses or things. We learned this in a few weeks when we studied the church of Laodicea. They had great material prosperity, but Christ said they were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. James 2.5, listen, my brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith, to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Luke 12, 20 to 22. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you, uh, then who will get what you have pre prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Matthew 6, 20. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. We can be rich in Christ and poor on earth. Amen. We should expect suffering. We should expect it. This is not fun to think about. But what is becoming clearer and clearer as a believer is if we want to make an impact in culture, we must suffer. We must suffer. We often wait for the right time. We often wait for the proverbial open door, right? Right time and open doors. But when I look at the life of Paul, I saw him assume doors open until God closed them. So we should expect to suffer. We need to quit waiting. We just need to assume open doors with people. If we keep on waiting to share Jesus with our friends and family members or coworkers until the right time, we won't suffer. If we just keep on waiting and waiting and waiting for that right time, we're not going to suffer. Because what ends up happening is cognitive dissonance will end up taking place, and we won't ever bring up Jesus. We can't quit waiting for the proverbial right time. If you want someone to come to know Jesus, there will be a time in your life where you will suffer. According to the Bible, if you are a believer, you will expect this. Yet we often seem to be looking for the loopholes. 
Thus do we know what we've really signed up for. See, there's a friend or a family member or a coworker right now that God has put on our heart. There's someone within our oikos or network that God has put on our heart where he says, I want you to share the gospel of Jesus with them. And it's a burning desire within you, but what ends up happening is you keep on saying, I'm waiting for the right time, God. I'm waiting for the right time, God. I'm waiting for the right time. And what's actually happening within our life is we're waiting for the right time that God sends them to us to ask a question so we don't suffer. Anyone been there? Anyone there right now? We're there right now. There's many of us within this room that are there right now that God has put someone in our life that he says, I want you to share the gospel, but we're like, I'm waiting for the right time. Because we're afraid to suffer. We're afraid to be looked at funny. We're afraid to not be their friend anymore. Well, Scripture says it's not you that they don't like. It's him. It's Jesus that they hate. But we're unwilling to suffer for that. But we are to expect it as believers. Expect that you are going to suffer. But Jesus says to the Smyrna church, do not be afraid about what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. So what are we to do? We are not to fear suffering. Do not fear suffering this week. Jesus makes it plain and simple. Opposition will come. Opposition came to Smyrna. They were imprisoned and some were killed. But what exactly is the 10 days, right? Sometimes I've thought to myself, what that happens, if this happens during our day and age, if I get put in prison by the devil, it's only 10 days. And then I can start counting down my days, right? 10, 9, 8. I don't know if these are literally 10 days or if it's a season or what it is. But what we do know is the church of Smyrna, or you and I, will face a season. The church faces seasons where we're persecuted by the enemy. So it really doesn't matter how you interpret that. What it matters is it's a season. I'll preach it this way, I guess. Suffering will come for a season, and some believers will die for their faith during that season. But what are we supposed to do during that season, whether 10 days or 10 years or the rest of our life? We are to hold fast and to endure. Why? Because he is worth it. Is he worth it to you today? And those who will endure receive the victor's crown, or also known as the crown of life. The crown of life, James 1.12 or Revelation 2.10. God has a plan for us to proceed in life while enduring trials. The believer who moves forward in God's call and assignment in the face of difficulty, even martyrdom, will receive this crown. The reward is for 
um, persevering and remaining faithful. The reward is not given uh, for having a great faith and getting delivered from every trial and test. The crown of life is for those who persevere and endure through hardship, persecution. Amen? How many of you guys want that crown this morning? I want that crown, but I was talking to someone this week is, uh, while I was having this conversation with them, is, I said this, I want to be Paul without what Paul went through. Right? I want to be David without Goliath. I want to be David without Bathsheba. I want to be David without Saul. I want to be those things. But at the end of the day, who is David without Bathsheba? Who is David without Saul? Who is David without Goliath? Who was Paul without his story, without being beaten and flogged? Who is David without Jesus? Who is Paul without Jesus? See, it was through those times of his life that made them who they were. So who are you without your trials? So put together just a quick list as we wrap up today. Why do we face trials? Why do you and I face hard times? Why did God allow Smyrna to suffer? Why are you having hardships right now? Well, according to the Bible, the first, one of the first reasons is to become mature and complete in Christ. These are the things you want to write down so you can share with your unbelieving friends. We face hardship so that we become mature and complete. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. How many of you guys just want to be... Look, we all want to be mature and complete. Amen? So how do you become mature and complete? You have to persevere. You have to count it a joy when you go through life. Another reason why we face trials is to glorify God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace... The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your um, majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. And this is verse 24. After they didn't burn up, right? Then King Nebuchadnezzar leap, leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unbound and unharmed. 
and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. So as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace, what happened? God was glorified. If they weren't in that situation, God couldn't have been glorified. He would have had to have been glorified another way. So sometimes we go through hard things so that he can be glorified. Another reason is to discipline us. We don't like that, do we? Does God really discipline us? God disciplines us. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord's discipline disciplines the one he loves and he chastens every one he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. Trust, or sorry, treating God. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. Not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of the spirit, spirits and life? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at that time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So we become mature and complete. We glorify him. He disciplines us. Now it's to keep us from sinning. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 2. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Amen. How many of you guys have had something physical going on in your body that while that was going on, you weren't sinning because you were afraid that it might be the end? So it keeps us, hard times keep us from sinning. Hard times keep us from pride. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Or because of these surpassing great revelations, therefore in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. To build faith 
1 Peter 6, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. In all this you grace, greatly rejoice now for a little while. You may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuine, genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So it builds our faith. We spiritually grow. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only so, but we also, um, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we grow when we face hard times. We've got two more. But we could keep on going for the rest of eternity. But we face hard times to equip us to comfort others. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. Praise be to God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So what you're going through right now, God's going to help you comfort others. And then just the last one we'll bring up today is to reveal the reality of Jesus in us. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 11. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Christ so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life may also be revealed in our mortal body. There are many other reasons, but we will leave it here today. Smyrna was facing hard times but God had a plan for them to endure. You have experienced many hard things in life, and the hard things are not done yet. And what we learn from Smyrna is there's this deep call to trust God, to trust that the hard things that he's doing within us are to draw us closer to him, and that he has a plan for it. And one day, the ultimate plan is to be set free from all of it in heaven. Amen? What has become clear to me is that if we want to make an impact in culture, if we want to make an impact around us, number one, we can't just talk about it. 
But number two, there will be a price that we have to pay. If you want to make an impact in culture, there's a price that you have to pay. And I can't make it clear enough. To make an impact in culture, that price will be that we identify with Jesus and we endure the sufferings that come. Amen? We actively bring Jesus up. We return to our first love. We represent him everywhere we go. We find ways to bring honor and glory and his name up in every conversation. So I ask you today, what is your life about? Are you willing to trust Jesus? Are you willing to trust God through the storm? Are you willing to endure a, endure a hard season with Christ? Do you want the crown of life? Do you want that today? Do you want the boldness and the strength, the courage to endure a hard season? Is that you today? Participating? Do you want that strength? I appreciate the hesitancy. Isn't it sometimes hard to give God permission to do what he wants in your life? It's scary. I know that there's been seasons where I've given him permission and then you go through something and then you look back and you said it was way worth it. But I want to control what happens next. I want to control my next breath and my next step. But ultimately, I know that when I give him permission to do whatever he wants, it works out a thousand percent of the time, way better than I ever wanted. So what I wanted to ask is, do you want to give God that permission today to do whatever it takes to give you the boldness and the courage to endure, to follow him? Then what I ask is that you just stand up just as a declaration to brothers and sisters, God, do whatever it takes. I give you permission. I trust you. Just stand up across the room and we're going to pray. But consider the cost. Consider the cost. Don't stand up if you don't mean it. Father, as I stand too, I pray that you would give us moments this week as we pray to talk to you about our frustrations of being persecuted, of the hard things that we faced, that we just be able to have an honest conversation with you of how we don't trust you in other areas where we do. I pray that you would help us endure, that you would help us trust you, that you would give us boldness and strength and courage to endure Do your work in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen.